Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. open up with a word of prayer. Father, you're such a good, great God. You're, you're a generous, cheerful giver to your people. And Father, we just want to worship you and focus on giving our money in the same way. We want to be cheerful, generous givers, Lord, that we may enable the kingdom of God to advance. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord. And by our giving, we also make testimony to how you have given to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just find favor with our giving. Lord, may it just bless you as we bless others. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go to our pastor's prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, your word declares that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And we stand today in the midst of that mercy, undeserving of your love, foolish in heart and rebellious at our core. You have surrounded us with your grace. We are reminded in Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus of your great grace when he writes, Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, your word says that you have predestined us for adoptions as sons through Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which with he has blessed us in the beloved. And Father, we see that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, and it's according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And Father, in this we stand, in this we are encouraged, in this we are strengthened, and we have our hope. Without your great mercy, we are lost, we are destitute. We give you praise and thanks for this great mercy. Let us embrace it this morning. Let us come before you in repentance and confession and a contrite heart for any guilt that may be lingering or any sin that is besetting us. For we know that you are faithful and that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in that same way, Lord, grant us mercy, that we may grant mercy to those that have hurt us, that have persecuted us, that have hated us and misused us. Let us pray for their redemption as we pray for our own. For it's only in the power of your Spirit can we grant mercy as we have received it. We come together to pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, who secured our salvation, we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to James chapter 1. We are in James chapter 2, as you see that, as we look at part 2 of discrimination in the church, but I want you to turn to James chapter 1, and I want to give a quick review of what James is teaching us in his letters to the Jews that is dispersed among the nations. 
In James chapter 1, verse 4, the apostle and half-brother of Jesus is encouraging the Jews to persevere through trials as God brings them into our lives so that we may be perfect and complete, in verse 4, lacking in nothing, realizing that trials lead us to put our trust in a good, providential, wise king. In James chapter 1, verse 18, if you take your Bible and turn there, Jesus reminds us that, that it was of His own will that God has brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be, kind, uh, be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. And because of that, we are commanded in James 1, 21 to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and to receive with meekness the implanted word. God has a plan for our lives, and that's to make us like His Son, Christ. Now, to being, to being that process, to help us in that process, in James 1, verse 22, He admonishes us to be doers of that implanted word and not hearers only, since true, genuine believers will follow through on their profession of faith. And now, as you got your Bible there in James 1, look at verse 25 as we read this. And we've looked at it before, but again, as a matter of review, he says, but the, let, but the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He goes on to say that if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, he says, your religion is what? Worthless. Remember that? And he said, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What James is saying is that, that we are not to only love God with all of our hearts, our soul and our might, but he says we must also love our neighbors as ourselves, as true, genuine Christians will love others. They will follow through on the biblical command, which is going to bring us to the topic we began last week in James chapter 2. In our message last week, we discovered there's one attitude and one action that will prevent us from being blessed in our doing, and that makes our religion worthless. In verse 1, James of chapter 2 had commanded them to show no partiality in their gatherings. And you might recall that we learned that the word translated partiality means to receive the face, meaning to make judgments about people based on outward appearance or to perform acts of favoritism based on their appearance. And that could be on their appearance as what they look like, what they make, or their languages, or their race, or their socioeconomic status. James recognizes that that type of attitude, those types of actions, brings tremendous harm to the body of church, not only to society, but to a community, a close-knit community like a church. To show favoritism in the house of God destroys the testimony of Christians as well as the character of God. And the church of the first century, just as the church today is, is guilty of making distinctions about people by judging them with evil thoughts rather than making distinctions and judging them with love. Their treatment of their fellow Christians and visitors belay their confession of faith. 
And that was the warning and challenge to you and I as we profess Christ, our very actions and the way that we make distinctions and the way that we think of other people can belay our true confession. It was a blind spot in their life and it's probably a blind spot in yours also. They are deceived just as many of us are deceived. And he points out an area where they've just become hearers and not doers of the Word of God. You see, the precept, the command of Scripture is to show no partiality. The principle behind that command is that God does not look on the outward appearance, but He looks on the inward. This precept and this principle of last week points to the person of Christ as He reveals that God is good and fair. And what you and I must understand is that all types of discrimination, all types of favoritism, based on racial appearance, social economic or gender or language or culture is abhorrent to God. It goes against God's design and God's command. Discrimination, you and I must understand, is a tool used by Satan to try and destroy the goodness of God's character. And you and I know throughout the history that the Christian church has allowed that tool to be used frequently and without resistance in this assembly. And it should not be so. You and I need to be reminded that God does not show favoritism. The scribe of 2 Chronicles, excuse me, in chapter 19 wrote that there is no iniquity with our Lord, our God. He is no respecter of persons. We also need to be reminded that favoritism, this discriminatory, violates the command of love. Discrimination is the act of showing favor to someone based on selfish criteria. There's nothing wrong with celebrating others. We'll do that. If you're here on First Sunday, many times we'll allow our visitors to go through first. There's nothing wrong with hospitality. But when we're celebrating others... We should never do so by disregarding other people. Amen? Today we're going to discover why favoritism, why discrimination, why partiality is so wrong as we look at chapter 2 of James 8-13. through James goes on to write, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as what? Transgressors. Look at verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. With that, Father, thank you for this letter to the Jews. Thank you for James for being obedient and being used by the Holy Spirit to put these words down. We thank you for how it's been preserved over the centuries, Lord, for our edification. Lord, for revealing your truth for us and for making us more like you. And Lord, let us realize the privilege and the responsibility comes to have your word here. Many people today do not 
have a copy of the word in their own language. They cannot read your revealed word. They cannot be not only hearers, but not even doers. So we thank you for the privilege, but also the responsibility. So I pray that you would be with me. Let me speak words that are edifying, that are built up. Lord, let us discern between my opinion and our opinion. And Lord, and see your word. May your spirit have free reign. Work in our hearts. Let us respond to these truths today, to love our neighbor as ourselves. We pray this in your name. Amen. Last week I gave you two things that Doug Moo, Doug Moo, who is a pastor and writer, observes. We saw that the first thing, as you see there on the screen, is that discrimination stands in contradiction to God's own evaluation in choosing His children. In other words, when God chose you to be His children, He did not look on your face. He did not say, well, I want this person because they look this way. I want this person because of his race. I like this person because he likes a lot of money or he has a lot of money. We saw in 1 Corinthians that he chose not what is the wise, but the foolish. He chose not the strong, but the weak. God looks on the inward. But we also saw that Doug Moo says that favoritism toward the rich, which was the problem that was struggling here. It may not be the way in which we show favoritism or you show favoritism, but in that church, it was towards the rich, says betrays a fawning mentality and a blind eye to the oppression that those who are rich are oppressing the Jews. Today we're going to look at the third, which discrimination violates the demand of the second commandment. To show favoritism or to be partial to people based on their outward appearance is going to violate the second commandment. And that's where we see the royal law. He says, if you fulfill the royal law, the royal law or the sovereign law that James is referring to is the second great commandment. James, again, is using the teaching of the Old Testament and of Christ. In Leviticus 19.18, we see the command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, in answer to the question of what is the greatest commandment, replied that the second greatest commandment was you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, of these two commandments, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, depend all the law and the prophets. To love our neighbor is to do well. We're commanded to do so. It reflects the very nature of God's love. However, many times our love is blinded by our prejudices, our biases, and our preferences. We may say that we love, but we can be deceived and blinded in our actions. In Luke chapter 6, verse 32, it's here on the screen. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend uh, to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You see, that's the question that we have to ask. When we say love our neighbor as ourself, we change it to say, well, do unto others what we would have them do unto us. The problem with that golden rule is in the fact that it makes us the center of how we should respond to others. But we should respond to love and love others as God loves them sacrificially. 
without reproach, without expecting anything in return. Many times we love, and we say we love unconditionally, but really in the case, it's not so, is it? We really love conditionally. I'll love you as long as you love me. As long as you're giving this amount into our marriage, then I'll give this amount in it. That's not what God has called us to do. Let me ask you, do you love your enemies? Do you love those who make your life difficult to those who are different from you? James is pointing out in verse 9 that when we discriminate against others, we are not only committing sin, but also convicted by the law as transgressors, as lawbreakers. You and I need to understand that those who are guilty of breaking the law of God are condemned to death. In Romans chapter 2, he says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patient and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. You and I must understand that many times we are guilty of breaking the law of not loving our neighbors. Now you might be like the young man, and I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 10. But in Mark chapter 10, you and I have to understand that many of us are blinded just like this young man. In Mark chapter 10, look at verse 17. It says, There's a man who tries to justify himself by professing to be righteous because he's kept a majority of the laws. Look at verse 17. And as he was sitting there speaking of Jesus on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept for my youth. I mean, this man was a pretty good man. And in verse 21, and Jesus looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have. Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And then you see one of the saddest verses in Scripture in verse 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Notice that in that passage, how Jesus gave the commands that dealt with loving your neighbor as yourself and not those dealing with loving God. Jesus takes this young man's profession of faith and shows him that instead of finding justification in his actions, he is in fact guilty of breaking the law. Putting himself up as this great defender of the law, he shows himself to be a great lawbreaker. Why? Because he loved his stuff rather than his neighbor or even loving God. To love God means to love your neighbor. You cannot do one without the other. To fail in one point of the law was to be guilty of it all. The law is interdependent. You and I sometimes think of the law as just a collection, a list of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. However, it's interdependent. 
It's not just a collection or list of individual rules. Again, one who is guilty of breaking the law is condemned and cursed, as we saw in our study of Galatians earlier this year. Let me tell you, there is good news. There is good news. It's true that you and I are all guilty and deserving of condemnation and curse of death. Yet God showed mercy, as we see in Ephesians chapter 2, where God says, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have saved. We have a God who is rich in mercy. And though we were lawbreakers, though we were deserving of death, God gave us that mercy. You and I are to be merciful because God is merciful to us. We're deserving of the full wrath of God, yet He has given us His mercy. In this passage of Scripture, the Holy Spirit is revealing that the person of God is revealing and demonstrating His goodness by granting mercy to the guilty. And see, that's where favoritism, discrimination comes. When we look at people and we make distinctions, not based on love, but on their face, on their outward appearance, we are not giving them mercy. That was happening at the church then. It's what happened in the church of the United States of America for hundreds of years, and even today we still find it subtly in the church of God. Not only in the church of God, but in our lives as we move throughout our day and we interact with people. We do not show mercy, but God is one who is a God of mercy. Exodus, 30, or Exodus 34 says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow in anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Nehemiah tells us, You are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful. In Psalms 116, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. He's speaking of me there. And when I was brought low, He saved me. See, you get, every once in a while, you'll find your name right in the words of Scripture. But God is a merciful God. And that's how we are to view and, and to make distinctions. See, God showed mercy to ten lepers. In Luke chapter 17, who cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. Lepers, as you might know, were people who were ostracized to the community. They could not live in the villages. They had to live out many times in the woods and in the tombs and in the desert. They had to carry a bell, and as they, they walked, they would cry, unclean and unclean. People would have nothing to do with them. Could not work. They lived on the goodness of others who would give them money or bring them food. But Jesus reached out and touched them and had mercy on them. To those that were untouchable, to those that were unloving and unclean, Jesus was able and willing to touch them. I love the fact that he, God showed mercy to Zacchaeus, mainly because he was short. But he was a short, thieving public servant. And there's a lot of short, thieving public servants, aren't they? We hate them. We watch Hannity and we say amen every time he gets on them. Jesus showed him mercy. You need to contrast that with the publican who said, oh, look at how great I am. Then God also showed mercy to two blind men in Matthew 
who were following Jesus, crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. And you and I are very much the same way. We're separated from Christ at one time in our life, crying out, have mercy, have mercy. God looks upon us and he has mercy on us. But yet we deny the same thing to others, whether it's because of who they are or because of what they do or because maybe what they've done to us. Because God has shown mercy, James writes in verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. He says, since you received mercy, since you received something that you did not deserve, you should be speaking and acting in the same way. What does it mean to speak and act as one who is judged under that law of liberty? Well, simply put, liberty means a genuine freedom from sin. That's what Scripture means. As the Holy Spirit applies the principle of Scripture to believers' hearts, we are freed from sin. And from the bondage it has, and we're enabled to obey God. And since you and I are free from that, we no longer have to judge people with evil intentions. We never have to look on someone and think of them in a way that's evil. Instead, we're called to do two things, and that's what I want to bring your attention to this morning. For you and I do not always act according to the royal law. But He calls us to do things. The first one is we're called to make distinctions with love. And let me tell you, we all make distinctions between people. You and I are always processing people. You can see it as we're walking through the store. We look at people and we make distinctions quick uh, and, and clearly in our minds. Male and female alike. As we're walking through the store, walking through the mall, as we're driving, we're looking, oh, that's cute. Oh, well, they're handsome. Oh, they're well-to-do. Oh, I wish I had that car. Oh, boy, I better walk on the other side of the street there. Oh, I hope he doesn't come and ask me for money. We make these distinctions all the time. It's so subtle, it's so commonplace to us that we don't even think about it. So you're going to make distinctions. You're going to make judgments about people. But first, you need to make distinctions that are made with love. Instead of all the other garbage that comes in there, we are to make distinctions with love. 1 John 4, 7-11. Simply, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. And whoever has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does what? Not know God. Because God is love. He goes on to write, In this the love of God was made manifest, was made known among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is not love. Not that we have loved God, but He loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. But here looks at this. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The first distinction that you and I should make in our judgments about anyone and everyone is that with love. And that includes the guy who's making your life a living hell. 
That includes that spouse who just doesn't get it. That includes that little boy who just continually pushes your buttons. That includes the politician who just doesn't get it right. It includes each and every person that we come in contact and enters our sphere of life. We're to love. We need to make decisions with love. We are now free and enabled to love others. Before that, we could not. But now God has given us the freedom to do so. You and I are now able to love our neighbors as ourselves, as put forth in six of the Ten Commandments. In other words, you and I are now able to honor our father and mother. We are now able to not murder. We're now able not to commit adultery. We can refrain from stealing. We can refrain from bearing false witness. We can now fight that desire to covet and be envy and jealous over others. You see, love, not favoritism, should discern how we treat others. And I'd pray as you come in this morning, as you look and think, well, who am I going to sit by today? Who am I going to say hello to today? that any distinction you made is made by love and not by their outward appearance. But not only that, let me get you to the second one, and that's the point of this message this morning, is not only should we make distinctions with love, but we're also called to make distinctions with mercy. We make distinction with mercy. Luke tells us, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Look at that quote by Paul David Tripp. He is a, a pastor and an evangelist. He writes that mercy means that I am so deeply grateful for the forgiveness that I have received that I cannot help but offering you the same. What a life-changing thought to make distinctions and judgments and discernments with mercy. That means the guy who cuts you off does not get a one-finger salute or just a, a swear word or a cuss word. It means that they receive mercy. That person who is in front of you, no matter what line you go into the, into the grocery store, the person who's in front of you is always going to be slow. It means granting them mercy. It means granting mercy to your spouse, granting mercy to your employers, to your employees. It means granting mercy to your children, mercy to your neighbors. It's granting mercy to those who do not think the same way we think. That's what God has called us to do. You see, Westboro has it wrong. To them, differences mean you condemn them with hate. That is not Christian. God has called us to love them and grant them mercy in spite of their hatefulness and their sin and evil thoughts towards us. And that changes the debate. You see, even in this thing of traditional marriages and, or abortion or the death penalty or whatever else you may want to put in there, the other side may use hateful words, will make distinctions that are evil. That's not how we should combat these issues. Are they real issues? Yes. Do they have a, do they, is eternity in the balance for many of them? Yes. But it's in love and in mercy that we make our judgments and our discernments. It's how we bring counsel into it. It's how we deal with issues. In judging others, we're not to show favoritism in race, appearance, or gender, 
or socioeconomic status. Rather, we are to lovingly show mercy. James gives a warning in verse 13. He says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. If you do not give mercy, you will not receive it. But mercy triumphs over judgment. This echoes the warning of Jesus, I believe. Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew 18. I believe James had this teaching in his mind when he writes this. As you might remember, James is, is highly influenced by the writings of the Old Testament and the teaching of Christ. And in it we see this parable, for one who has been shown mercy is to show mercy. Matthew chapter 18, look at verse 23. Jesus is given a parable. He says, here's what the kingdom of God is like. He says, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Verse 24, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I'm not going to do the, the money thing for you, but it's like a billion trillion dollars in today's finances. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. That was an economic reality back then. If you went into debt and you could not pay, you went into debtor's prison. You were sold until that could be paid off. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees and implored him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. By the way, I try this with my collectors. It doesn't go very well. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and what? Forgave him the debt. But here's the kicker, verse 28. When that same servant who was shown mercy, who was shown forgiveness, went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, just a little bit of money. He seized him again, choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servants fell down and he pleaded with them, have patience with me and I will pay you. He repeats the same words that the other guy said. But look at verse 30. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. What a scoundrel. But you're looking in the mirror. Story's not done. Look at verse 31. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all their debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. In other words, it's for eternity because he never could pay it. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. You and I are to make distinction with mercy. When we judge someone with evil intention, if we're differing people because they're different from us or because they don't match with us, we are not giving mercy. Because see, you and I were that. We were that stinky, homeless person before God. We were that man that hated God, that persecuted, that raised our hands against Him. Our heart was an outright rebellion against God. We made distinctions. We want nothing to do with God. But God looked past all of that and embraced us and said, I'm going to give you mercy. And we might cry out, well, I don't even want your mercy. But God says, I'm going to give it to you anyway. He reached in and took out my old heart and he put in a new one. I didn't ask for it. It's not what I desired. It's not what I wanted. 
God gave me that. As each and every one of you who makes a profession of faith. And to be a hearer and a doer means that we follow through. Since we received forgiveness, since we received mercy, we're to act in kind. So let not the church of God be marked by discrimination, by favoritism, by partiality. Let not your life be marked by making distinctions without love and mercy. I know personally that some of you are going through some very difficult things in your life. You have some people and things in your life that are just making your life a living hell. God says to make distinctions in love and make distinctions in mercy. Trust God, for it may be in giving love and giving mercy that you may change a heart and bring someone to the throne room of God. Why? Because that's what you and I have. Let me ask you just to close up your Bibles. I'd like for you to just take a moment, and I want you to pause and prayfully consider this. Our attitude should be as a tax collector in Luke 18 who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I want to ask you, is that your attitude? Just take a moment, bow your head, close your eyes. Would you say, Lord, expose my heart? Am I one who, deserve, who needs mercy? Am I one who's been forgiven a great debt? Profession of faith, you know that it's true. And as we consider that, as he beat his breast... God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Is that still your prayer today? If so, then God calls you to respond to His Word. And it's simple today in this response is, is through James. Is that we need to realize how God sees us. He says, once you were not a people, but He says, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you received it. He also tells us that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God has given you something special. He has given you a wonderful gift of mercy. For God sees us in love and in mercy. He doesn't see me in my sin. He doesn't see me in my trespasses. He doesn't see my evil heart. He sees me as one of His. The closing words, you can look real quickly in Matthew 5, 7. It says, Blessed are those that are merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Would you make a commitment this morning to make distinctions with love and mercy. If you say, I want to do that today, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Father, we come before you recognizing that you are a merciful God. And without your mercy that I could not stand here today to preach your word or even to hear your word. We were all guilty of being lawbreakers. We are deserving of death and the wrath of you for eternity. But yet, in your mercy, you have made us alive, and you have set us up, and you've made us your children. 
And so, Father, because we have received that with gladness and joy, Lord, I pray that you would help us to follow through by giving the same love, the same mercy that we receive. May we give that to others in our opinions and our distinctions. As we're walking in the store, let us see that each person is someone who needs you. Let us see our enemies as not someone who makes our life miserable, but people that need prayer and that need love and need your mercy. Father, enable us to love our neighbor as ourselves, as difficult as that may be. You call us to pray for those who persecute us. Lord, to love those who disabuse us. Strengthen us for that. Let us respond as you've called us to. We pray this in the name of your Son. And all God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.